Uh, so I was on the radio this week, BBC Essex. They rang me up often on spec to see if I would uh, speak to them about uh, Lent. What is Lent about? So they wanted to know. Why do we do it? So I told them that Jesus went voluntarily into the desert uh, to face temptations and that we voluntarily go with him uh, in a season to face the same kind of temptations. And... Uh, uh, one of the things that I think uh, she clicked into was or this Sadie, Sadie Nine, her name is, uh, she clicked into, was that Jesus uh, wasn't Superman, that actually he suffered it, the same temptations and struggled with it all himself as well. And, uh, uh, and our going with him to the desert, as it were, to the wilderness in our spiritual lives through these weeks of Lent, are designed for us to learn, as it were, the same things that he understood and uh, whereby we may draw closer to God and be better equipped. So I want to say at the beginning that the first thing uh, is that we should resist temptation whatever our circumstances. Uh, well, it can't be wrong, can it? Uh, when needs must to provide for ourselves. That's kind of what we think within ourselves. We hold that up as a laudable aim, not to be dependent on anyone or anything, to be self-sufficient. I don't want to be a burden, people say to me. Well, I do. I want to be a burden on everyone so that they can serve me in the kingdom of God. Okay, because my provision will come from you as much as uh, from anyone else. So, Jesus' hunger after 40 days was faced with that kind of temptation, not wanting to be a burden, to be self-sufficient, to provide for himself and to satisfy his hunger. If you are the Son of God, turn this stone into bread said the devil, because you can do it. You've got the power and you don't. And if you don't, you might even die. How could God want his son to suffer such a thing? And I've no doubt that Jesus' situation was serious. He'd been there 40 days without food and his hunger was debilitating and yet if he was to provide for himself it would mean first of all he would distance himself from God he would not be trusting in God's provision but his own he would have satisfied his earthly physical well-being at the cost of his eternal spiritual well-being and secondly, he would have been distanced from all those who suffer urgent need but have no power to provide for themselves. He would be betraying the very people that he came to be with. Many years ago, I used to work uh, voluntarily at uh, St. Martin in the Field Social Care Centre, uh, Friday nights and Saturdays. 
and uh, it, was, um, it was quite a place where the seriously needy of London City would come, and uh, I have all sorts of stories to tell of that place. But what I learned very early on was not to go with any money in my pocket. I had to go on the same level as the people I was dealing with in order that I could serve them properly, to be with them in that sense of inability to provide for myself. See, Jesus couldn't help such people and show them the way if he didn't share the predicament. Trusting God means resisting temptation to do your own thing, no matter what the circumstances. And in our news over years, we've heard of the Amazon on fire. Not Amazon warehouse, the Amazon forest on fire. We've heard of soil degradation by erosion and compaction. If you listen to um, the, uh, the Farming Today programs, you'll be familiar with that. That's at uh, quarter to six in the morning. Uh, plastic in the water, CO2 emissions. They're all signs of us turning our stones into bread. Exploiting the world's resources instead of stewarding them. Plundering nature instead of living in harmony with it. Living by our own means and without reference to God's provision. And the more serious our situation becomes, the more we find ourselves tempted in this way. The world is not all there is. Jesus knows that to see life only in terms of physical survival is no life at all. Man does not live by bread alone. Faith in God gives us the life that is true life. Jesus says that in John chapter 6. Trusting him for his provision. If going through times of hardship is necessary to know that trust, then it has to be worth it. One of the things that the woman said to me was, the woman on the radio, Sadie Nine, said to me was, do you like it? Do you like all this austerity in Lent? I said, well, it's a bit of a Marmite experience. Like the athlete, of course, we like to cross the finish line. It's all the struggle of getting fit for the race that we have to endure. We need to, to, to value the end point of knowing God more than we value whatever it is that gets in the way. So resist temptation, whatever your circumstances. Secondly, resist temptation, whatever the attraction. Jesus looked at the kingdoms of this world. They were shown to him, laid out in front of him, and the devil said, I will give you all of this, all their authority and their splendor, if you will but bow down and worship me. And doesn't that seem to be attractive? To be king of all the world. It's after all what you might expect of the Son of God, isn't it? You can have all you want. Everything that would excite you and please you and make you fulfilled. Every, every luxury 
every pleasure, every titillation and fancy. And besides, think of all the good you could do for others if you had all that wealth. My uncle said that once to me when he was trying to persuade me to buy a lottery ticket. Just think if you won, he said, you could do all the good. It became quite an argument. Because I said, if I won, I know I wouldn't do all that good for everybody. I'd just be plagued by having all this money and not the grace to give it all away. See, there's great temptations. Perhaps we have to resist temptation, no matter what the attraction. Most often when we go to the marketplace, those glitzy windows in the high street, the refined adverts on the telly, the targeted ads that come through your computer, telling you that your life would be complete if you only got the next thing. That women would find you irresistible if you get the right smelly. (laughs) That you'd be free if you wore the right clothes, drove the right car, used the right shaver. Well, not you, Peter, of course. (laughs) (laughs) You'd have the edge if you used the right job agency. And we tell ourselves we're worth it. We deserve a holiday. Who doesn't know the temptation of buying something we don't need just to make ourselves feel better? I resist the aisle in Tesco which has the radios and the electronic gadgets because I know I can go down there when I'm glum And buy something just because it makes me feel better. And then I don't use it. Bizarre. See, powerful forces are at work to tempt us into buying the world. The advertising feeds us a lie that we want to believe, even if we know it's not true. And none of the stuff is wrong in itself. But when we do it as therapy, to cover up our fears or as a statement to the world about our status status, or, uh, or the belief that by having the latest stuff we shall in someone's eyes be somebody. We're entrapped by that lie. These are things we confront by following Jesus into the desert. Jesus' kingship is not based on his power to take, uh, to, to, to take regardless of everybody else. The mark of Jesus' kingship is his servanthood. See, we're all people who benefit from his kingship. He is a benign king. We're raised up to rule with him as brothers and sisters, becoming concerned For the kingdom of God to come is our aim. The kingdom of love and forgiveness and blessing and fidelity and justice and peace and harmony, service, concern for others. You don't need anything or any money 
to exercise those things. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's what Jesus says. Words that direct us to the kingdom that will in the end be the only kingdom. So that's resisting temptation, whatever uh, the attraction. And finally then, we need to resist temptation, whatever the temptation. That seems a strange thing to say. Except the more we follow Jesus, the more subtle the temptations become. And the longer we resist, the more intense there comes the struggle. The devil comes to Jesus and has him stand in a high place. There was a, a great messianic expectation that the Messiah would stand on the highest pinnacle of the, uh, the temple when he came. And if you're the son of God, the devil says, throw yourself down from here and he will command his angels concerning you and they will bear you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So what could be better than taking the promises of God and using them, working for them, standing on them for our advantage? And to test God, just to see how faithful he is. I mean, you'll never know he is faithful unless you try it out. Because scripture, you see, is always true, always good. But we can't presume upon the promises of God. You can't force God into doing something that he is not going to do, that you want him to. Nor can you bargain with God that if you do something, he is bound to repay. The temptation, you see, I think, is to see God like a talisman, a genie. Rub the little bottle and he'll pop out and grant us the three wishes. Have you ever noticed, though, in those three wishes story, that by the time they get to the third wish... They always want to undo the previous two wishes. That's the point of the three-wish story. Jesus, we think of God like a, a personal bodyguard who will protect us from the pain of life. And yet, and yet, consider the Jesus story, he was destined to die on the cross, to suffer. That's where he engages and we engage with the worst of life. And that's where this time in the desert will eventually end. In overcoming the temptation in the desert, Jesus plots the course to the hill of Calvary. And the nature of his Messiahship is decided when he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Living by faith is not a test for God. It's a test for Jesus. Would he be the one who kept faith to the end? And so too with us. Living by faith is not putting God to the test, not to put God to the test, it puts us to the test. 
Will we keep faith to the end? No matter what the temptation. And if we can't, and we can't, and when we don't, we take strength and comfort from the fact that Jesus did. Jesus faced every temptation we face. Tempted to provide for himself, tempted to promote himself, tempted to protect himself. And all of it he resisted in the end. That he may fulfill for us what the Father asked of him. To be the saviour of a fallen world. So where do the resources come from that we may resist this temptation that comes upon us? Jesus doesn't enter into logical arguments, relative conversations about uh, the benefits uh, and disadvantages of succumbing. He just uses Scripture. Three times from the book of Deuteronomy, if you look in your little uh, footnotes to to the script. Plainly and simply, in the way that it's meant to be used, in the way that points back to the will of the Father and the way of the kingdom of God. Three single verses to counter these temptations. Man shall not live by bread alone. It's not all about the stomach. The stomach satisfies your physical hunger, but your real hunger is a hunger of the soul. And if you can see your physical hunger as a sign, a pointer to that deeper truth, we're more able to resist that temptation. That's why fasting is such a productive thing to do. You shall not eat by bread alone. Then he says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Because that's where the kingdom is. That's what we live for and that's what will exist when everything else doesn't. And you should put, shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He is the faithful one. The question is, can we keep faith? So when we're tempted, when we know we're in danger of going off the rails, don't discuss it Don't have a conversation with it. Fire scripture at it. Because when we use scripture against our temptations, we're taking our eye off the struggle and we're looking to the answer. When we quote scripture, we take our eye off the struggle and we look to the answer. Lifting our eyes from our weakness to where our strength comes from. Simple to say, something often we forget to do. Apparently Britons, people in Britain, check their mobile phones every 12 minutes for messages. And separation anxiety from your internet or your uh, social media is a thing. It's a real thing. Many people can't think of not having their connection. 30% of Americans say that they would rather go without sex than be without their mobile phone. 
An indeterminate mumbling came from the front. 40% would rather lose their voice than their phone. And 60% of this, get this, 60% say they would rather go without chocolate than their telephone. Bizarre. Can it be true that we are more willing to go to the desert places for a telephone than we are for Jesus. Maybe we should carry our Bibles like we do a phone, carrying it in our pockets, flipping through it several times a day in case we receive a message, turning back for it if we forget it, treating it like we couldn't live without it giving it to children as a gift, reading it to get what we need when we recognize the temptation. If we're to follow Jesus into the desert, we need to go equipped. Scripture, God's word, is what we need. Without it, we're vulnerable, exposed to every temptation. But with it, we're able to withstand the wiles of the devil himself. So let's make reading and remembering verses of Scripture part of our following him to the end. Amen.